Now, Lord, guide our study in your word. I ask that you would speak and you would show us at the depths of our souls what we need to know and hear and see. God, it doesn't matter what my words say. It matters what you say. And that's what we want to hear. So have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was walking Sheila's dog <laughs> and praying. And as I was praying on Saturday, yeah, yeah, yesterday, I sensed God bring to mind um, this message that he wants us to hear. And, and so here's the picture. Imagine that you have been chosen as a participant in a game show called Choose Your Master. So here you are, you are the audience. And I, I don't watch game shows, so forgive me if this is not really how it works. But I remember like in some game shows that they have the audience ch chant the thing, right? So this is your chance to do that. Here it is, Choose Your Master, all together. Choose Your Master. Imagine you're the participant, and, and they have flown you to, the, to be the, in the studio, and as the audience chants, choose your master, the curtain comes up, and there are two people in front of you, master number one and master number two. The host is there, and he says, today, your name is going to participate in this contest to choose the master that he would like or she would like to follow for the rest of their lives. So the host introduces master number one. Let me introduce, known as D. Anybody want to guess what that stands for? Devil. Devil. Some of you are smart. I don't know about the rest of you, but some of you are kind of catching on. Master number one, known as D, and as you look at D, he looks appealing. He looks, he, he, um, he looks beautiful and attractive with this Hollywood smile. And as you look, there's something strangely familiar about him and something that you're drawn to. And and you even feel comfortable thinking the choice, maybe that's the one I'm supposed to choose. The host says, on this side, we have master number two, known as C, which is Christ. And as you look at master number two, he just looks plain. He, ordinary. When he smiles, it's a caring smile, but it doesn't, usually, it doesn't attract you like master number one. He looks unfamiliar, and there's something about him that seems a little bit uncomfortable. The host says, well, master number one, can you tell our contestant here, um, what do you have to offer? 
He has that beaming Hollywood smile as he speaks, and, and his voice at the moment that he speaks for the first time is smooth and appealing. Just hearing his voice, in fact, draws you to him. And, and you begin to think, I, th- I think this is the master that I would like to follow. He says, I offer to you, if you choose to follow me, I will provide you with good things. All the things that you long for. I'll give you pleasure and abundance. Possessions, more than you could ask for. Success and position in life. That will put, I'll put you in places that you do not deserve. I'll give you all that you've ever longed for. The host turns to master number two. Says, well, what do you have to offer? When he speaks, his voice is kind and honest. But it doesn't draw you in. And he says, if um, you choose me as your master, I'll give you abundant life that satisfies your soul but I won't guarantee you your physical desires. And you think to yourself, well, that doesn't sound like somebody who's trying to sell themselves. And then he goes on. I'll give you that abundant life, but it comes with a price. Now, master number one didn't say there was a price to anything, but now he says you must turn away from all that you know and follow me without question. I'll give you abundant life, but it will cost you. And you need to know that it will involve hard things. Because in this world, you're going to have difficulties. But you need to know that I've overcome the world. And you will too, if you follow me. The host is a bit confused because this isn't the way that he thought it was going to go. And so um, he turns to master number one and says, I, I think you need to clarify. Master one uh, says, well, I, you need to follow. I want you to follow me. I'll give you a life of ease. I'll give you a life of pleasure. No strings attached. Master number two, I want you to follow me. And, but I will give you a life of self-denial and blind trust carrying a cross, and exercising spiritual disciplines that will require the best that you've got. Master number two speaks up, says, you need to choose me because I'm offering you the life that you always dreamed of. Master number two responds with, I offer you abundant life now that will satisfy your soul. An eternal life, the life that he offers is the opposite of that. The life that he is offering to you is death now and death later. And the host sees this getting a little bit heated and he tries to step in, but master one interrupts. No, you don't want to follow that guy. He's offering you all the things that people avoid. You don't want difficulty and self-denial and all those strings that are attached. I'm offering you whatever you want. I'm offering you that... Uh, an opportunity to deny yourself nothing. What, now, now I, I, I'll sweeten the deal. You just tell me what you want. And I'll give it to you. Master number two responds. He looks at you and he looks at him. And he shakes his head with a very sad look on his face. And says, that sounds good to you. I know it does. But in the end, it's all smoke and mirrors. 
and it ends in death. Master number one starts to leave his podium as if he's going to fight master number two because he's angry. And as he steps toward number two, the host steps in between the middle of them to stop any kind of fight. And he says, I've just received a note from the producers that I'm obligated to, um, and and the law requires me to uh, speak this disclaimer. Everything that master number one has said is a lie. He has been identified as a total deceiver. And everything that master number two has said is true. There's only truth in him. And then the host says it's time. And he turns to the audience and he says, let's say it. Choose your master. Which will you choose? Now, in that scenario, as I presented it, it seems like a pretty clear choice, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who offers us the very best. And yet, this is the alluring master. This is the master that we've been born because of our sinful nature. He's familiar because we're already following him. So as I was walking Sheila's dog, this is what came to mind, that God wants, as we begin this week of prayer and fasting, to challenge us to clearly choose because any, well, let's go into the message. Some realities of living with Christ as our master. Number one, the first reality is everyone chooses a master. You don't get the opportunity to refuse the invitation to the game show. Everybody chooses a master. Open your Bibles. Does anybody need a Bible? Slip up your hand if you need a Bible, and the ushers will bring you one. Okay, we'll start out looking at Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? And here he says, here's the only two options that you have. Either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he says, everybody chooses a master. It's one of those two. Sin or righteousness. The devil or Jesus. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So he's saying... To these people, you've chosen master number two. You've chosen Jesus. And as a result, you've turned your back on this master, the old master that you had of sin. But you had to be set free from that master because you're born with a sinful nature and you naturally choose that one to follow until you deliberately choose Jesus instead. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. Because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members to slaves as impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, says you used to live as slaves to sin, but, and, and you would present yourself, you would give yourself to that sin. But now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is, we have to choose our master. Everybody chooses 
all of us choose this one at some point in our life when we become, um, when we're, as we're growing up and we become aware of this choice of choosing sin or choosing not to sin, and, and we all give ourselves to sin. It's not always easy to distinguish between the two. You know, um, so often I think, I think we believe, well, if I saw the devil, I would recognize him. But, you know, he'd have horns and a tail and he'd be carrying a pitchfork and have a fork at tongue. No, not at all. And so oftentimes, even when the, uh, a person is talking about choosing Jesus as master, it's actually not. If it's not Jesus' requirements in the Word of God. So I put in your notes, D, which stands for the devil. He looks good. He looks good. When he came to Jesus in the wilderness, he was offering him things that were appealing. He promises good. He offers ease. He offers pleasure. He, and, and it's easy lies. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, second part says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If the devil came to you today, you would not recognize him as the picture of what we think of as the devil. He comes seductively. In Proverbs, um, it describes him, I think it's in uh, Proverbs chapter 9, describes the devil as um, a lovely young woman who is pursuing this young man with slick lies and, and um, invitations to pleasure and possessions and all of this. And, and he doesn't even recognize that it's an invitation to sin. In uh, Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The devil offers us ease, offers us pleasure. And he says, those who enter are many. But when we come over to C stands for? Let me, let's try it again. C stands for Christ, master number two. He looks ordinary. In, in, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it talks about that there was nothing special about him. He, he was just, he's, uh, he, he looked ordinary. And so he comes, but he promises good, true good. But it's hard truth. Matthew chapter seven fourteen, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So everybody chooses a master. Everybody chooses a master. Problem is, we want joint custody. You know what I mean by that? We want both masters to be our masters. We, I remember when, um, when I was a kid, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old, and I, w I asked my dad if for something and he said no and I didn't like that answer so I went into the kitchen and I asked my mom the mistake that I made was doing it in place where my dad could overhear and I heard from both of them immediately if I if one of us tells you no you don't go to the other one and see if you can get a different answer but I thought it would work and that's so oftentimes what we do because it's not a one-time decision of who's going to be our master. 
It's an ongoing choice every single day, so often in the small, seemingly insignificant parts of life. We want to have a foot in both worlds. And we'll talk more about that. Number two, everyone is choosing a master constantly. As I said, it's not a one-time choice. It's a constant choice of, am I going to continue to follow? Because Jesus' invitation in, in Luke 9, 23 was to follow me. And so it, just in, in uh, Galatians 5, 25, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. So the indication is you can also step away from that. You don't have to follow every day, every moment. He's not going to force us to do that. And so this choice is a constant choice. Um, and every part of life, every part of our lives is a part of whether we're choosing sin, disobedience to God, or to follow. First John chapter 2, turn with me there. One of our scripture readings earlier shows us these two choices that we're making and that they're constant. First John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And there he's talking about the world system that Satan rules. That's disobedient. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's mutually exclusive. You can have the world and sin and follow what you want, or you can have Jesus and follow him and what he wants. For all that is in the world, and this is really a summary of everything you'll ever be tempted by. Three things. He says, the desires of the flesh, that's pleasure. And pleasure is also in um, fear of not getting what, you, what feels good as well. So it's any kind of pleasure. He says, the desires of the eyes, that's possessions. All the physical stuff in this world that we, that we want. And then the pride of life, which is um, in King James, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and, and I can't remember what it is. Position, power, reputation, popularity. That's what that third one is. So whether it's pleasure or possessions or people, though it, you can wrap up every, every temptation that you ever face. It comes in one of those categories. He says, and if you give yourself to that in disobedience to God, he says, they're not from the Father. They're from the world. And the world is passing away. Death. Remember we... He offered, Jesus accused him of offering death, lying, offering death. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Pride life. life, the pride of life. <laughs> pride of life, is that King James too? Really? Yeah. Okay. So D, which stands for the devil, deceitfully presents appealing offers. And every one of those offers is a deceitful lie that leads to death and away from Christ. So John 10, 10, the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. And, and throughout the, the Bible, we see scripture after scripture that talks about how there is no truth in the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. There's no, everything he offers is a lie. And he only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. 
he deceives himself to look like an angel of light so that he's appealing. Remember, in this scenario, really, master number one was more appealing than master number two because he looks good and he sounds good and he offers ease. Jesus, C stands for Christ, Christ, offers true life, and he's very candid about it. If you want life, it's going to the man. Bless you. And it demands self-denial and transformation. So John 10, 10, the second part of that verse says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm offering you abundant life here, but not all the pleasures of this world. Abundant life that is in the soul and life hereafter. But it requires, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It requires that we follow in self-denial. Satan comes with, you don't have to deny yourself. It feels good, do it. Right? Just, just, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Just go ahead, fulfill your desires. And Jesus comes and says, no, you got to deny yourself a whole lot of stuff, more than you want to, in order to have the life that will, that will actually fulfill the longing in your soul. Now, look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, turn there in your Bible. Because if we choose master number two, he requires that we follow him, and in following him, we experience transformation. Following Jesus is the hardest thing you will ever do in your life. That's, the, that's what Jesus says. It is also the best thing you ever do in your life. Amen. Because it, sin um, brings pleasure for the moment, but having a relationship with Christ brings joy so deep forever. But you, it costs. And what it costs is turning away from the old way of life in order to fully belong to Him. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Your bodies represent all that you are. Everything you are. Heart, soul, mind, body, everything. As a living sacrifice, meaning it's given completely to Christ, holy, set apart for Him, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual act of putting Him first, of recognizing that he is almighty God and he deserves all worship and praise. Do not be conformed to this world. That's the invitation of the enemy to conform to this world. Every temptation is designed to get you to go into his mold and away from Jesus. The smallest to the largest. Here's how small they are. On Thursday, when I'm feeling horrible and, and I hear this voice, well, you can't fast if you're sick. And I say, you know, you're right. I can't. And I don't go to God and I don't ask him if that's his voice. Or, and I say, okay, I'm not going to fast. I have just taken a step away from Christ and cooperated with the enemy. That's what I'm talking about. In these intricate, small decisions. Because every invitation... Every invitation to sin is um, designed to pull us away from Christ. Every invitation from Christ to follow him, even when it's hard, is an invitation to experience deeper, abundant life. We'll get to that in just a second. 
Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. That's what happens as we follow him, denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following him by the renewal of your mind. Our focus. Fasting is a tool by which we do this. We focus our minds, our hearts, and our souls by, by using the fasting prayer. So we give up food, something that is legitimately ours, in order to focus on him. So that every time I get hungry, I'm praying, God, I love you more than food. Please do whatever you want in my life. And there's a, there's a, a spiritual, physical, mental, emotional cleansing that occurs when we, in obedience to God, say no to food in order to say yes to him. And the transformation occurs in our minds and our hearts and our souls. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Our minds are on him. We get focused on him so that we can know what he wants next. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformation into his image. The path of least resistance is the path of the enemy. The path of excuses is the path of the enemy. Because if I had come to, to most of you and said, I'm feeling sick. Um, I don't know. I don't think I could fast. Maybe I need to put it off. Unless we pause and say, God, what is it you want? Your heart would go out to me and you would pat me on the back and say, yeah, Herb, you know, you've got all these you know, stomach issues anyway, I think maybe. Because your heart, that, that's the path of least resistance. But if we go to God in that moment and you and I both hear, no, we're supposed to suck it up and do what God wants to do, then we're choosing the path of hard. We're choosing the path of resistance. We're choosing the path that's more difficult. But then I don't get up from my knees having that spirit of oppression lifted, right? You, you don't do me any favors if you're patting me on the back when God is trying to get me to suck it up, right? And here's, here's one of the problems. I put it in your notes. Fasting is one of the seemingly insignificant choices that can be hugely significant. What difference does it make whether I fast? You know, yeah, I know, Pastor Herb keeps bothering me about all this, you know, the weeks of prayer and fasting, and he gets on his soapbox. And, but really, does it really matter if I fast or not? It does if God is telling you to. Because he has something for you that you will never know that you missed because you didn't obey. Which brings number three. Everyone reaps the consequences of their choice of master. There are consequences. The devil tries to present himself as if there aren't any, no strings attached. Just follow the temptation. There are consequences. Romans chapter 6, if you want to flip back there in your Bible. Romans chapter 6, we'll pick up verse 20 where we left off. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, master number one, you were free in regard to righteousness. No strings attached. You didn't have to try to live for Christ because you were following sin, right? He says, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? 
for the end of those things is death. So if you think back in your history of times when you weren't following Christ and you were following sin and you look back, how many regrets do we have? At the time we didn't. It all seemed like fun. All seemed, oh, nobody's getting hurt, you know. And you look back and you realize there are huge ramifications that he tries to hide from us. He says, it all ends in death eventually. But now that you've been set free from that and you become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, being set apart more and more. And its end is eternal life. So in this life, you're being molded more and more so that you experience the pleasure, the soul pleasure that he offers you. For the wages of sin is death. That's the consequence, ultimate consequence. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And it's not talking about uh, using words to mock God. It's talking about acting in a way that you think you won't have to pay for. I think I could participate in the sin and it will have... I Sure. I've heard the statistics and, you know, a lot of people end up in such and such because of the sin, but that won't be me. Do not, that's mocking God, believing what isn't true. He says, because whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And he's not just talking about after death. He's talking about here and now. Those who deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow Christ, reap benefits from that now. Those who refuse, even people who claim to be following Christ, if God is telling us to do something and we refuse, we're choosing joint custody and we're trying to mock God, believing that it really it wasn't that way. I, now, I really am going to step on my soapbox. I can't tell you how many pastors I've challenged to fast regularly who just won't. And as a result, I can see it in their ministry. It's superficial. It, they don't have the wisdom or the discernment that God needs them to have. They're reaping, and they don't even realize it. How much more for us? If you, uh, if you, if you believe, if it's been confirmed to you that this particular week of prayer and fasting is significant, and we go, oh, well, man, you know, uh, we're, not reap, we're going to reap what we sow. We're not going to experience what God has. And I believe that God has some really significant things to do. Okay, I'll step off my soapbox. One of the problems is that consequences are not, often not immediate. They're often not immediate. They don't happen just like that. It's long term. And how many people do you and I know that have health issues right now because of habits that they had that they knew they should have stopped at some point, but they didn't? Right? Um, they didn't stop playing basketball when they should have. 
That's personal testimony. Bullet point. D, which stands for the devil. The consequence is living death now with, with moments of pleasure and eternal death. I couldn't find the author of this. A lot of different people have, have quoted it. And we could spend a whole message or maybe a series on it. But it's powerful. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Give in to sin. And, and sin can be saying, no, I don't want to do that, Jesus. It will suck you in and it will take you and keep you and cost you. On the, on the, on the other side, Christ, abundant life and eternal life. And we've talked about that. Now, abundant life, I put a note in there, is not the same for everybody. There's a, and, and that's what takes us into number four. Fasting with prayer supercharges following Jesus. Because the pathway of following Jesus is in Luke 9, 23. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. It's in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, don't, don't conform to this world, be transformed. It's, uh, that's, um, that's where the intimacy, that's where all the good stuff is, that's following Jesus. Fasting will supercharge that. It will give us, and I put a couple of scriptures that we've studied over the last few months. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Every, all of this sin, all of this lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, Paul says, I've had it all. He says, it's nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them garbage in order that I may gain Christ. And then Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Fasting reaps incredible rewards as we make Jesus the master, as we give up food that is legitimately ours in order to focus on him. Fasting leads to intimacy and alignment with God. Write this down. I didn't put it in your notes. Fasting leads to intimacy and alignment with God. Fasting with prayer leads to intimacy and alignment with God. Because it's about focusing, following, it's saying, Lord, I love you more than food. I want you to do whatever you want in my life. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to... And so as we do that, it leads to intimacy and alignment, which creates a sensitivity to God that is soul deep. And so because I've, I already started my fast, um, I, I noticed just in, in the last day, you know, so I've, I'm, day three, I, I, a song came on Caleb and brought tears to my eyes immediately. When it, I don't think it would have a week ago because there's a sensitivity to the power of that. Which then leads to transformation and power. So did you get all that? Fasting leads to intimacy and alignment. Fasting leads to intimacy and alignment, which creates sensitivity to God. Creates a sensitivity to Him and what He wants to say and do. And that leads to being transformed into His image and power being, uh, in, being given into our lives and flowing through us. Fasting supercharges our relationship. Did everybody get that? I need to repeat it again. 
Fasting leads to intimacy and alignment with God, which creates sensitivity to God, which leads to transformation and power. So this ever-deepening intimacy, personal relationship, sitting on God's lap, ever-deepening alignment with God, being in step with Him, and then ever-deepening power flowing through us. In Mark chapter 9, 29, Jesus says, this kind can not be driven out by anything but prayer. It's the account of when Jesus had been upon the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, come down. The other nine um, apostles were trying to cast out a demon from the son of this man who brought him, who was, and the demon was trying to kill the, the, the son, and the, the, um, the apostles couldn't do it. And Jesus gets frustrated with them. Where is your faith? Because they'd cast out demons before and they knew how to do it, but they couldn't do it. And they come to Jesus afterwards and say, why couldn't we do that? And he says, this time, this kind comes out only by prayer. And some of the earliest manuscripts have added two words, and fasting. There's some power that we will not experience from God, no matter how spiritual that we look, if we are not aligned with him. The reason these nine who had done it before couldn't do it is because it wasn't because they weren't praying enough. It wasn't because um, they weren't doing the religious things. It was because they were not in alignment with him. It's only alignment. We're only pipes for the Holy Spirit to flow through. That's it. And that comes when we fast and pray. So if God really does want to do some significant work on Wednesday, the only way that we experience this presence of God is being in alignment with him. You, we don't earn it. You know, you can't say I'm going to fast and so that God, God owes me something. No, that's not the point. The point is in alignment with him. But too often we're like Buckeye. <laughs> Sheila's dog. We were sitting out. We were sitting out in the backyard Friday evening and we took the varmint out to put him on a leash so he could run around and do the things that he needs to do so he behaves himself when he comes in the house. And as we're sitting there, we watch. And he zeroes in on the spot in the grass. And he, and he keeps putting his nose and jumping back. And then he paws it. And, and he you know, plays with it. And then he goes off and he does the things that we want him to do. Run around, get rid of whatever's inside of you that we don't want in the house. And, and, then, but, and then he comes back to this spot and he keeps pawing at it and jumping at it. But, and then he goes, runs around again. And then he comes back to this spot. He keeps coming back to this spot. I'm going, I know it's something that we don't want him to be a part of, right? It's a mole or a snake or he goes over, it's a bee. And I'm thinking, how stupid are you? It's a bee. It's something that he is enamored with that he keeps playing with that can harm him, but he thinks it's attractive. And I thought, how much we're like that. Amen. He's got the whole yard to run in, you know, to chew on sticks, play with his balls, all the good things that we, as his masters, attempted masters, <laughs> have provided. 
all that stuff. And he gravitates to something that he shouldn't be messing around with. How much are we like that? My challenge to you is ask God how he wants you to fast and do it. Just do it. No matter how hard it is, if you need help, call a friend. Pray with somebody else. There's, there's intimacy and alignment and power available, God says. And then come on Wednesday and let's see what God has in mind. We may not know what he's doing, but I've had experiences where there's a moment of importance that happens that I didn't know that it was a moment of importance until way later. What I do know is he's calling us. So that's my challenge. Master number one, master number two, every day. Would you bow your heads? And in this moment, would you commit to God? Saying, Lord, I will do what you tell me to do. I want you to be my master. Help me. Lead me to choose you every, with everything. With the most insignificant or the biggest. Help me. I surrender. Lord, as pastor, I surrender us, this congregation, this family, this army to you and ask that, God, you would do whatever it takes to cause us to be the people of God that you want us to be, the family of God, the, the outpost of God. However hard it is, Lord, help us to do it. And then let us experience that soul pleasure, that joy unspeakable um, that you offer to us. And the peace that surpasses all understanding. The love that is incomprehensible that you offer. Lord, don't let us off the hook and don't let this, your challenge, get pushed to the side. I pray for Wednesday night, God, Help us to prepare ourselves to seek you, to be ready to pray for one another, and then just have your way. We have no expectations except that your presence will be there. And so we give you all the glory, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.